Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer. Thank you for joining us today. And I really hope you find this episode as unique as I did. I spoke with Spencer Jennings, professional FIBA three-on-three player on player development, his journey from going from Division three basketball to walking on and becoming a Division one player at Wake Forest University, his journey bringing him around the world from NBA G League tryouts, trying to be, pursue that professional dream of playing basketball overseas, how that took him to playing in Japan professionally, the benefits of the three-on-three game and how it can apply to five-on-five, and some of his philosophies when it comes to player development. All that and much more in this episode. Let's get after it. We'd like to welcome Spencer Jennings to the Coach's Edge podcast. Spencer, thanks for taking the time. Steven, thanks for having me, man. Uh, big fan of you and your work and excited to talk hoops. You have a really um, wide variety of experiences that you're really going to help all the coaches listening with your experience as a college player, uh, overseas, professional athlete, especially in FIBA three-on-three, very unique. Uh, your training experience, CP3, Chris Paul's Academy. Uh, and then also, you know, you have some background in sports law and some exercise science. I mean, there's a ton of different ways that we could go um, with, with this podcast, which is extremely beneficial for all of us. But before we do that, what's some of your, your background? How did you go from MIAA to ACC, getting overseas? Tell us a little bit of your story. Sure. So uh, I went to high school in Midland, Michigan, and I was a pretty good high school player, but uh, by no means great. I just kind of got a little better every year. Um, I moved up my sophomore year for a couple of games on varsity, playing in the Saginaw Valley League, uh, that then went back down to JV. And first game my junior year, um, scored 30 points just kind of out of nowhere, but I worked really, really hard between my sophomore and junior year. And uh, had a couple more big games and I was the only junior to make first team all Saginaw Valley Conference. So uh, that inspired me and I wanted to come back really for a big senior year in high school. And I scored a lot and, uh, but our team was just kind of average. It was me and another, uh, a good big man. And so I had limited options coming out of uh, high school, but Hope College was a place, obviously you're very, very familiar with that is kind of a, a, a dream school for a small school. I mean, great campus, great facilities, um, good coaches. And uh, I really could kind of see myself having a home there. And so I went to Hope and to my surprise, I mean, the, obviously I knew the former players on the team or the, the, the guys who were older, but there was probably 50 freshmen uh, that I don't know if, you know, some of them just wanted to play or they had over recruited, but it was a, it was a, pretty crazy first semester but I I enjoyed it I enjoyed the competition I enjoyed the preseason training um I made lifelong friends there in just the semester so um but the basketball fit at the end of the day was just probably not for me I probably had a lot too much too much pride at that point and uh thought I was a little better than I was but I also wanted just the best situation for me to play going forward so um I decided to transfer at the semester point to Albion College. And, you know, you always think maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And when I got to Albion, I realized that I had just made kind of a, a, a lateral turn and not anywhere going forward and actually probably backwards just because 
I didn't have really any friends at Albion. The facilities weren't uh, anywhere near Hopes. And uh, the coaching staff, I felt like, wasn't as strong as Hopes coaching staff. So I just kind of felt like I made an impulse decision. But I still trusted myself. I still trusted in my game. So I applied to Wake Forest. I applied to Elon and Campbell. And I knew I just always wanted to be kind of more down south. I really liked the North Carolina area. I had gone to some of the Wake Forest camps uh, growing up, and I loved the campus and the people there. So um, that was kind of my dream school just all time growing up. I applied out of high school. I didn't get in. So I, I, I made sure I always kept my grades. I think I had maybe a 3.5 or 3.6 at, at uh, Hope and Albion. So I uh, made sure my grades were good and submitted an application, and I was accepted. So from that moment when I got accepted to Wake, I knew I wanted to walk onto the basketball team. So Every year, I just felt like I was getting better, uh, despite kind of my struggles my freshman year in college. And uh, I think there was about 50 or 60 kids for one walk-on spot at Wake that year. And uh, fortunate that all the work paid off in about an hour and a half tryout and was uh, the one selected to be on the Wake Forest team. So that's how I ended up making the move from uh, MIAA to the ACC. So um but we can talk about wake if you want later it, it, it wasn't all uh you know d1 roses and, and and the dream story but i definitely was proud of myself that i didn't give up and i was able to experience acc basketball after a tough start to my uh college career well, it's a it's a great example we just had vito brown who played for wisconsin on our last podcast and he was talking about you know just because you're, you know, playing in the Big Ten or playing, he's playing in the G League, you know, like it's not all sunshine and rainbows, as you said. Yeah. Everybody, regardless of what level you're at, whether it's it's D3 or D1 or ACC or the Mid-American Conference, there's always challenges, struggles that you're going to have to go through. And, um, you know, people may not see that from the outside, but uh, it's it's always going to be like that whatever level that you're you're playing at so you, you're you're at wake forest acc and now you're in japan playing professional three-on-three -three basketball how did that work yeah so um when i was at wake tore my acl mcl meniscus after transferring that first year i had to sit because of transfer rules and then that summer first game of pickup with the team blew out my knee and so i really only got one kind of I would say legit year at Wake where I could practice, I could play in the games and I could kind of experience, uh, you know, full blown college basketball because of injuries and transferring. So I, when I got out of school, I pretty much had, uh, you know, it's great to say, Oh yeah. Wake Forest division one, when you're talking to teams, but nobody cares if you don't have any stats or any tape. So, uh, and obviously I honestly, I was burnt out with, uh, with the Wake Forest experience. It was, it was great, but it was also really tough and really demanding. We, we weren't a successful team. Uh, it was a pretty negative environment with both teammates and coaches just because the coaches had the stresses of losing. Players, you know, everybody, if you're going to Wake Forest on a scholarship, you're pretty much thinking NBA, which, uh, I mean, everybody on our team was. And, you know, everybody's kind of dreams are falling apart when you're not successful, you're not playing well. And it was just – it was – it was, it was a tough experience. I'm sure like Vito probably explained a lot, a lot of Wisconsin guys going through the same thing where, you know, you, everybody thinks they're going to make the NBA or play pro ball or not get enough shots, not get enough touches. And if you don't have a, you know, a good locker room, good coaching staff, it can go bad quickly. So from my story perspective, I, I, 
I took a year off and I got my master's in, in sports law. And I wouldn't say take a year off. I'm always training and working on my game, but just kind of took a time to reevaluate. Um, and, and I wanted to do this master's program and just see what I wanted to do with my life. And the passion of fire was still really hungry. So I, I went to the Santa Cruz Warriors uh, D league tryout in California. And I just said, all right, let's see, let's see what I got. And I was, I was training, but I wasn't like, uh, you know, I wasn't playing nowhere and getting the shots up that I had normally gotten up in my career. Um, but I still felt pretty confident uh, in my game in a tryout situation. And there was probably 120 people at the tryout and they simmered it down to 10 guys at the end of the day. And the first name they called for the last 10 guys was me. And that little crumb was kind of all I needed for, um, for me going forward and like, it, it was it was at that moment in time it was all I needed to kind of make me believe in myself that you know I can I can play somewhere maybe not the G League uh but I know I'm good enough to play somewhere so um I didn't get I didn't get picked up by them but then I said all right I'm going to go all out and next year I'm going to the national tryout in New York uh for the D League so I went there and I played really well uh they sent me a contract to be eligible to be drafted so all the teams can select you and then I went to the main Red Claws tryout uh, in Boston. So you're playing at the Celtics facility. And just as, you know, fate would have it or, you know, I'm a man of faith. So um, I did not know this at the time, but, uh, you know, anybody can go to this tryout. And there was kind of like this older kind of white guy on the team. I wouldn't say older, maybe like mid-30s. And uh, he just didn't really look like he was in the best shape. But, you know, he wasn't terrible. But he ended up being um, – the um, a writer for Mass Live, and now he works for the Athletic, Jay King. So he covers the Celtics. But basically, he was doing a story um, on on trying out for the D League team because I guess he had played maybe high level high school and wanted to see like he wanted to do a story about you know participating in the tryout. Um, and I lit it up in this tryout. I probably had I think I hit eight threes in my first game. And uh, it was just kind of a perfect storm for me. So he interviewed me uh, after it and, and gave me a lot of praise and interviewed me on, and it got posted on the website, also on YouTube. Um, and it was really good exposure for me. And I, now I could send out the teams, you know, of, I had kind of, I didn't have the tape of the tryout. They wouldn't release it, but I had a write up from a established reporter about my play in an NBA uh, G League tryout. So that led me to Dubai briefly, and then I pretty much contacted every single three-on-three -three team in the Japan League. I emailed everyone. Only one ended up getting back to me, and uh, that's all I needed. So I played in Okinawa my first year, and then um, played one season there, and I got my foot in the door, had a, had a good season playing three-on-three. -three. It was totally new experience for me. I never thought I'd be playing three-on-three. Um, it suits my game well. I love it. The, the energy, the environment, the style of play. And uh, so I played one year in Okinawa. And then the last three years, I've played on a team in Tokyo. So it's been a whirlwind of a journey to get there. But every single step of the way was kind of just a little step, little step, little step that has led me to uh, this point and just not giving up and, and taking little motivation. And even though like, you know, it's, it's small potatoes to most people, for me, it's I'm getting paid to play basketball uh, in a foreign country, and I, I, I couldn't be happier uh, most of the time with, you know, obviously there's, there's setbacks and there's disappointments, but 
from the grand scheme of things, I, I, I really enjoy my teammates, the game, and the country I'm playing in. So very, very blessed and very thankful. That's awesome. You're waking up. You know what I would say? If you're waking up and you're doing something that you're passionate about, you're winning. I mean, that's it. For it's sure. really that. It's really that simple. And you know, that's how I feel like w- with what I'm doing. And, you know, it's a, interesting that there was little step by step things that happened throughout your journey that led to, you know, that opportunity to get over to Japan. And then you made the most of it. When I was playing, trying to get overseas, there was only one team, one team <laughs> out of, you know, every team that had a chance to, to hook, hook up and connect with me out of college gave me a contract and you know from there it's like okay you got one shot that's all you were looking for it's time to make the most of it um for sure so now you're in three on three this is unique and for our listeners if you haven't listened to our other FIBA episode with Chuck Arnold who was on the the framework for getting FIBA to be an Olympic sport make sure you go back and listen to that one but this is great to hear it from a player so how did you get more involved with FIBA three on three and what are some of the things that make it stand out? Yeah, I did listen to the podcast with Mr. Arnold. That's, it was a great podcast and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I had no experience playing three on three, but I just, from general research going into it, you know, you play everything inside the three point line is one point, everything outside the three point line is two points. Uh, so shooting is even more, you know, from analytically, um, you like three pointers are even more important because they're worth double the points. So I knew just from that perspective, I was going to be all right because uh, shooting threes is my specialty. But when I got over to Okinawa, it, I came in, uh, I started practicing in May and it was probably, it was really hot, maybe over a hundred degrees and it's super humid in Okinawa and the gym has no AC. And three on three, the game never stops. So after a bucket, you just keep playing offense to defense, defense to offense. And in and, and the game, there's more fouls. Guys are calling more fouls. There's more stoppage of plays. But, you know, when you're practicing, it's just, you know, you're, you're not going to call as many fouls and the game's going to continue more. So I was so hot and so tired. And I'm, I'm in good shape. I mean, from conditioning standpoint, it's never been an issue for me. But uh, and I was so confused because I'd be taken into the rack and maybe getting one point and a guy would just be running out, respacing, spotting up around the perimeter and, and getting double points. So one of the guys knew how to play, uh, wasn't 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 the best athlete, but he knew how to position himself. Uh, he knew how to move in the three on three game. So he probably hit six or seven threes and uh, and, you know, the game went by so fast. And I, I was like, man. I couldn't even believe that I was playing like uh, the same sport. It is kind of a different sport, but I just, I, I felt like I was just um, getting water poured on me, like, uh, and I was already swimming underwater. So I like couldn't get a breath almost, but um, it's a really different game, but it, it, it's, it's a highly skilled game. It's a highly effective game for all coaches out there to teach your players. I've learned more. I feel like in the last three years than I learned, any time in high school and honestly most college because of the how the game moves how you need to work with your teammates how you need to communicate how you need to space the floor um so it's really opened my eyes from uh not just a playing perspective but a coaching perspective as well so with with three on three and you know, I don't know if you're similar to me I grew up playing a very different type of three on three but from Gus Macker tournaments Red Hacker tournaments all the local towns had three on three 
obviously different rules, but still three on three. What are some of the benefits that you see that players could incorporate into their five on five game by playing more three on three? Sure. Um, like you said, I get all asked a lot. Oh yeah. It's like the big three, the big threes, uh, come into the U S but it's, it's not the same. They check the ball. <laughs> uh, you know, they're posting up, you know, and, and I don't know what the shot clock is in the big three, but our, our shot clock's 12 seconds. So you need to be effective. You need to, uh, have a plan. You need to communicate, but, um, for me, like we run a ton of flare screens. You're going to run a ton of slip screens. You're going to learn a ton of back screens. You're going to work on a ton of backdoor. You have more space to work on the floor because there's only six guys on the court. Um, so you're going you're gonna to know how to uh, cut better. You're going to know better. You're going to know how to relocate. You're going to have to think fast. Your reaction time is going to go up, and you're going to be in the, the best shape of your life, I promise, if your teams are practicing three-on-three three every day. So um, the possibilities are endless. Guys are going to know how to communicate, work together. You're going to you know, those little times in, in games where the best teams, you know, you don't think. You just play and it's reaction. And you look at my eyes and I look at your eyes and I know you're going to go back door. All these little things and nuances of the game that you need to just – you either have or you don't have. You see a lot of athletes in the game get exposed because they don't have these little um, – I don't even call them intangibles. They, they, you might call them intangibles, but little, little cues and, and how to read the game and how to understand – player screen, back screen, when do I slip? When, how can I bump this guy a little bit without getting called for an offensive foul, but still being able to get space and separation? And, of course, at the end of the day, you're still going to work on your steal. You're still going to have to get a bucket. You're gonna, still going to have to put the ball in the basket. But all these little coaching tactics and strategies, you're going to be getting mentally stronger each time you play. Just listening to you speak right there. That's more, that's all that I need to know as far as incorporating more three on three with my team. And especially hearing you talk about the reaction time and then adopting some of the rules that allow the game to be faster paced. So players are forced to make quick game-like decisions instead of, okay, check it up, take five seconds to check it up. We'll throw it over here. There's, you know, no shot clock. You're dealing with 12 second shot clock. You have to make a play quickly it's it's essentially small-sided randomized training non-stop I mean the amount of repetition that you're getting in in a short amount of time is more than I would say most kids playing a regular game of five on five are going to get in two hours for sure and probably the biggest thing that I even forgot to mention was you're going to find out which of your kids want it more and you're going to find out which of your kids is the most locked in and focused because if I hit a shot in a five on five game, you know, you see it, you see it a lot, even in the NBA playoffs last game, the guy turns, he looks at the camera, he makes a face, he pounds his chest and three on three. If you hit a three, you already have to think about the guy who's guarding me is relocating to the corner or I drive in and get a bucket. I'm already need to communicate with my teammates who I got. And a lot of times if I'm, uh, you don't even have time to talk. You just have to read. Okay. He has a, my, my teammates running out this way. I have to read and, and find my guy and, and make a closeout after I, after I already make a, make a shot. So um, you're going to find out which of your guys is, is locked in and focused and, you know, not, not thinking about celebrate, not thinking about, um, you know, looking at his girlfriend in the camera. Um, just who, who's going to be locked in, tuned in, and, and paying the most attention to details. So um, that's, what the, that's the aspect I love about the game is, it's a 10-minute sprint. Uh, the games are 10 minutes longer, first team to 21, and you have to be 
ready to play from the jump ball to the final buzzer or you're going to get exposed. And I can speak to that. I was watching some of your three on three highlights earlier today and you're literally driving to the basket scoring and then immediately getting into looking around. Where's my clothes out at? Your hands are out. And I mean, it's it's truly nonstop playing for 10 minutes or first to 21. As you mentioned, is there is there enough time to do a lot of like ball screens are becoming extremely common within the game at every level. Is there a lot of time to get into ball screen actions? Yeah, and I actually the best teams in three on three, I feel like are the most effective in the pick and roll. So um, ball screens are great. And a lot of times you get like I talked about earlier, you get the, the good, the, the really good teams. The Serbians are really good um, because they they'll hit you on a ball screen and but they'll they'll they're not really set but they're not really not set so they're knocking you off a little bit and they're they're they're, they're setting almost a ball screen um right behind you so their their butts pointed to the basket so they'll nudge you and then they're they're not they're not even really they're kind of giving you a little bump and then they're they're rolling right to the hoop and and then guys got to come over and help and they're hitting that other guy when the defense comes to help and the guys make sure he's, he's big space in the corner. So um, ball screens uh, in three on three are definitely uh, highly effective. You, sometimes you'll see one, even two ball screens uh, in a possession. And um, I, I think it's, it, it translates really good because five on five, you know, I think you're going to start seeing that. You see it in the NBA, you know, a hundred times a game. You're going to start seeing it in college more and down to the high school level. I think a lot more too. And three on three um, ball screens are, I think, Probably, if you did analytics, maybe the highest point per possession uh, play in the game. Yeah, I know we we had uh, John Spruance on an episode, and he mentioned at the college level. I think he said over seventy percent of last season's possessions at I think the Division One level involved at some point there was a a ball screen action. Um, and and really with the ball screen against a good team, it's more of a three on three action than a two on two action because that that first help. There's going to be some type of backside defense, and then it gets into that pass to the next pass like you talked about. It's a long closeout, and good teams are going to be effective at it, three-on-three, five-on-five, whatever it is that you're playing. Next question uh-huh. is, with, with, with the action of a ball screen, have you found that there's something effective with whether it be a ball screen or a dribble handoff or – a stationary handoff, you know, say you're at the top and you throw it to the wing and then you come off of, of a handoff like there. Basically different variations of what a ball screen might look like. Have you found out certain ones are more effective than the other or is it just depending on the situation? Uh, yeah, I think anytime you're moving and anytime you're creating the defense to move and react is effective. So our team, uh, Cran, we love movement. We love dribble handoffs. We love ball screens. Our motion offense uh, last year was we dribbled into a handoff. Uh, the, guy in the, out, the guy who's receiving the handoff comes off of a ball screen from the other wing. And then the person who initially hands it off sets a flare screen for the guy who just set the, the, the ball screen. So it's just a ton of action at the top. I'll send you the tape after this if you want. But yeah, send a, it over. Yeah, a handoff into a ball screen. And then the person that initially set or initially gave the handoff is setting the flare screen for the guy who set the ball screen. So, um, and then we always have a di- guy dive into the basket after setting that last screen. So it's just constant motion because 
if the defend if the defender's already in position, not moving, he's already closed out and in good position. But if I can get that guy to just react, lean one way or the other way, I feel like I can get a step. I feel like I can put pressure on him, step back, shoot a three. Anytime where I'm creating the defense to move and get off balance a little bit, I'm creating opportunities for myself to score. And, you know, so much at a, especially at a professional level where you're at is, you know, consecutive actions. You know, any good team is going to be able to stop a simple action. But when you involve consecutive actions like that, it becomes really difficult to stop. And as an offensive player, it's your job to create some type of reaction to the defense. And then because of that reaction, you have different solutions based on what that defender or that defensive team decides to do. That's, that's great stuff. And I can't wait to see that video. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned before you're big on working with players. You, you do training at CP3 Academy, uh, energy, playing hard. You, know, you mentioned in, in our previous conversation of anyone who, who has that open mind to, to listen, work hard and have energy, we can get in the gym and, and we can get, get better. Share your thoughts on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that when I train kids, I want them to understand, listen, we're not going to be here all day. We're not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do something that makes you, you know, so uncomfortable where you're going to have to go to the hospital. Yeah, you're going to get tired and you're going to work hard, but at the end of the workout, you're going to feel better. But for the workout we do today, whether it's an hour, hour, 15 minutes, hour and a half, um, that I want the kids to be locked in and focused and I want them to understand that if you want to feel better at night, you want to put your head on the pillow at night and, and feel like you got something, I need your attention and your focus for the next hour, hour and a half, however long we're in the gym for. Like too many times, uh, people who just come in with the mi- wrong mindset or people, even myself sometimes, like, and I'm sure you feel it too, like training every day, some days you don't want to train, but it's just your mindset. Like, if I can just take five minutes, one minute, however long I need to just recalibrate my mind and say, okay, for the next however, I'm going to be locked in. I don't care if I have to put my favorite song, my playlist on. I don't care if I need to be listening to motivation stuff that day. I don't care if I need to be thinking about um, somebody that said something to me or a situation that like went bad for me and I need that motivation. I have to go to a place where I can lock in and focus. So that's what I try to take out of the athletes is how do I get to the place where they're going to be the most locked in and focused so they can get the most out of their workout. That's fantastic. And I've had another coach ask me, you know, how do you, you, you want your kids to work hard, but how do I know if they're really playing with energy, if they're really working hard? And I love what you mentioned deep down. It's all about at the end of the day, can you, can you lay down your heads on the pillow at night and you can say to yourself, yeah, I gave my best. That was the best. I maybe I wasn't feeling that great today but I can still go to bed and feel good about the effort and the energy that I gave during whatever was required of me throughout the day. You know, you put heart rate monitors on players and kids and and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, only you know if you brought the energy and if you played hard and you got after it with that given amount of time. I absolutely love that. Now, shooting is your biggest strength. So, when you're working you, with players, how do you go about developing shooters while keeping their shot? Yeah, that is a you know, million-dollar question. And I'm just straight up being honest with you. As much experience and dedication I have to shooting a basketball, 
Um, it's really, it's a really touchy subject. You're, if you ask 10 coaches, you might get 10 different answers. Um, I, I like to try to work within this, this, the athlete's shot. So I will never say, oh, change this, change this, change this, change this. So, and I'm very slow to make changes because I feel like when I was growing up, my shot uh, wasn't perfect. It wasn't a cookie cutter, looks good, looks clean. Um, I did shoot it well, so maybe that's why coaches didn't change it. But if somebody tried to change my shot at a young age, I think I may have – I really, really uh, struggled, struggled with that process. So I try to make sure that we're doing the little things right, we're on balance, where our mechanics are tight, we're shooting the same shot every time, where I'm not shooting one shot flat, I'm not shooting another shot high arc, I'm not shooting – you know, I'm trying to get the same – the ball to come out of the, the, their release the same every time. And uh, for me, almost every time, I'm, I'm not sure if you know any shooters. The only shooter I've ever seen that had, like, funky rotation on the shot was the guy from Purdue in the tournament uh, last year or two years ago, the Klein kid. Uh, okay. Is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I tried to make sure that the the ball has has good i think good shooters have good rotation on the ball you know a lot of guys have different mechanics you can look all around the nba um you can look all around college everybody kind of shoots a little different but i feel like the one consistency is they're getting good arc good rotation i wouldn't even say good arc because you know Kawhi leonard shoots a really flat shot um and he's highly highly effective but the rotation is um is is very important to me when i when i'm educating shooters and on top of that, we can, there's, there's a million other things, you know, doing your work early, being ready to shoot, um, having, having your palm off of the ball, uh, following through, getting your legs into your shot, one motion. Um, so there, there's a million things we could talk about when shooting the basketball. But if I'm training an individual, I'm looking at their shot, and I'm, I'm just kind of – I'm not giving – I'm not trying to overload them with too much information. And a big thing for me is I don't like shooters missing shots short. So if I see uh, – I in my experience, almost 90% of the shots that I get working with, with, with youth basketball players, the shot is short. So I try to eliminate the, the sh I'm trying to get the ball over the rim. If you watch golf, putt can't go in if the, if the, if it never gets to the hole and similar to shooting, the ball's not going to go in if it's short um, and never gets over the rim. Sometimes you'll get the bounce that it's good rotation, soft touch bounces over the rim after a little short, but if the ball never gets over the rim, it's not going in. So that just kind of gives them the mindset of also they got to incorporate legs in their shot. They got to be more deliberate with their follow through. They got to be following through in the basket. So um, as much as I love shooting and shooting's like a drug to me, every time that ball goes in, I get excited. I feel good. Um, I don't claim to be an expert or a shot doctor. And I get really upset when I hear about, oh, he was a shot doctor. And like, not to, not to say anything bad about the Spurs coach, but you hear shot shot oh he changed this guy but I just feel like that lots of reputation shooting shooting in basketball is is how hard you work on it how many reps you put into it and of course listening to your coaches and, and making minor changes but it's on you to improve your shot and to get the reps in because not one piece of advice is going to change a shot what's going to change your shot is getting into the gym early starting close and, and putting in hours and hours of, of, of reps into your shot Reps create the rep. I love, I love the, the advice really, because it's, you're not a robot. You're not teaching robot mechanics. And there's, there's so much instruction out there that I feel like is hurting and confusing many players because 
they have a coach who is so specific and they're saying this one way is the right way and these 99 other ways are all the wrong way. And I couldn't be further from the truth. As you mentioned, just look at high-level shooters. Nobody's shot looks exactly the same. They simply have things in common. You mentioned balance. You mentioned having, you know, for the majority, arc on your shot, good rotation, the ball not being short. There's different ways that you can get that result. It doesn't need to look the exact same way. Like I was watching you shoot on video, and it looks like when you bring the basketball up, it's more so towards the center of your body, like around your, your belly button. Whereas I know a lot of coaches will teach the, the ball has to get to your shooting hip almost, or, you know, bring the ball always to, you know, what would be your right hip. Well, that might be really uncomfortable for you to shoot it every time in that, what coaches will call the, the pocket, right? Mm -hmm. When you're on balance, you're in rhythm, you're shooting a shot with range. Now, as, as we rep shots out, we, we get our confidence up. That can be a, a difference maker for any shooter. You're a great example of that. I noticed when I started following you on Instagram was you were working with Callie Shire, who's Division One player for High Point. I worked with her when she was in Bowling Green and in junior high. And one of the big things that I wanted to work with her was her shot was flat. Her elbow was was low. So she had all of these uh, great attributes with her shot. But that was one thing that, as you mentioned, front rim on shots. It was like, just, let's just get the elbow up, elbow up, elbow up. As that elbow got higher, now she broke the state record for threes in, in the state finals in North Carolina when they won the, the state title. But it's being able to take, as a player, different key pieces of advice, I think, from different coaches such as yourself and and many other people in not becoming robotic and finding what works for for you in order to get the the results. And I'm sure you're a great example of of that as well within your skill development. Um, is there any other things that you really recommend for shooters to improve upon their game? Yeah, I I think that the, just having the control over your shooting hand and one-handed shooting uh, is important. So, and I'm not talking about going out and launching threes with one hand. I'm talking about getting under the basket, getting touch with one hand, and and just feeling the flow of just getting that getting that release point, seeing that ball go over the rim every time from a lot. It's boring and it's tedious, but you know you don't just walk into the weight room and start doing. 100 pound curls like you need to get the body warmed up you need to get your mind centered with your body and get that mind muscle connection and so that's what that's what i think the biggest thing is lost uh with you today is everybody wants results now and everybody wants um to be a great shooter and step out but nobody wants to just walk into the gym first thing and shoot 100 makes from five feet even though that is what's going to get your body and your mind synced up at the same time. That's what's going to build up the little muscles in your fingers to get that soft touch, to understand, to see that ball going in, to build confidence. And um, I'm just a big believer in simplicity and, okay, feeling, feeling your feet in the ground, feeling what one motion feels like from five feet and trying to, trying to I, would, I would go to the gym and I would shoot 100 free throws at the end of every workout, which isn't even a lot, but I wouldn't leave until I made at least 90 of them. 
So everybody needs to have these little goals. If you're not making 90 of 100 from the line uh, in an empty gym with no crowd, no fans, um, then you need to move in until you can. And I, 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 I can only name maybe two or three athletes that I work with that I feel like I'd be confident in saying that they could make 90 out of 100. So um, everybody wants to be a great shooter, and, and especially now in today's game, where you just see the amount of threes being shot and the, and the marksmanship that these players have, but nobody kind of can see the, the behind the scenes work that goes into it. So I'm just a big believer in, in simplicity and, and mastering the little details. And then you can expand your game and then things start getting easy and fun. But until you put in that uh, groundwork, uh, I don't, I don't think that it, only for a very, very select few, it's possible to just um, be able to naturally go back and, and effortlessly shoot, you know, deep threes with a soft touch. No, that's absolutely, absolutely right. I feel the, feel the same way. And, you know, everybody wants to be successful, but, you know, until you're willing to accept that it's going to take a long time, it's going to be really hard work. And that success isn't going to happen alone. You're going to have to find other people that you trust to give you the advice, the instruction, and be willing to listen to them even when they're telling you something that you may not want to hear. If we can do those, those three things now, only then really are we giving ourselves a chance to, to be successful down the road. Anything else that you want to mention? I was going to ask you, what do you aim for when you're shooting? I would say that I'm not really aiming sometimes like I, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'll take in just certain things to like, if I miss a couple, I'll try to always have just reference points in my head. Sometimes it's as simple as put the ball in that bleeping basket, uh, <laughs> like put the ball in the basket. Like I, sometimes I literally just tell myself, put the ball in the basket, put the ball in the basket. Put, so the, I'm just, I mean, does it get any more simple than put the ball in the basket? Uh, so like I'm never I, I, I always try to make sure that I'm looking, you know, right at the rim. I don't really think, okay, uh I, I need to look here. And then sometimes I'll be thinking about, okay, I wanna see perfect rotation on every shot today. So all I'm thinking about is just when I catch that ball and it's coming off of my release, I want perfect rotation every single time. And then some days it will be, okay, follow through into the basket every single time. So just little checkpoints that I know that make me shoot the ball well that make me shoot the ball with uh, good rotation and then like I said if, if, if everything's going kind of astray or, or I miss a couple in a row it, it, I'll just literally tell myself put the ball in the in the basket the, the ball is <laughs> going in the basket from because I you know I hear Steph Curry and Dame Lillard say all the time you know confidence is the most important thing in shooting the basketball so you're going to go through slumps if you're playing this game you're going to go through bad moments you're going to lose games uh, and your, your confidence and your game is going to get checked. So um, if you've put in the work, that is the biggest confidence key for me. That, like that always removes the doubt is how hard I'm working and how prepared I feel. So um, sorry, to not, sorry to kind of go around your question. I don't really have an answer for what I look at in the rim. I just have certain checkpoints in my mind that I go to uh, when I, I want to shoot it or shoot it well or not think uh, instead, of, instead of not thinking – instead of thinking badly – checkpoints that help me shoot my shot well I think your your answer is is awesome because it goes back to what we spoke about sooner with shooting and it's that you're not a robot 
you're not just like somebody else. What works for you may not work for somebody else, but it might be perfect for another player. And, and the big thing that I get hung up on is like, if, if you're a coach or if you're a player and you're getting results with what you're doing, what you're doing is, is working, keep doing it, right? <laughs> Who is somebody that you're, you're, you're getting better, you're getting improvement, and then somebody else comes along and says, whoa, whoa, whoa you're not doing this right. You better, you better change that. And, you know, you have results and, and proof and success that you say, no, this is working and it's continuing to work for, for myself and my players. And, and you're an example of that with, with your answer. If that works for you, do it. If it doesn't work for you, okay, then maybe, you know, be, maybe it's front rim up and over, maybe it's back rim. So you're trying not to be, to be short, but the fact that you're being different is a fantastic answer because especially with shooting something that's so important, it's not a one size fits all thing. Um, skill training, something that you've, you've been doing, uh, especially when you come back into the States, I know you do it in Japan as well. What are some of the other top skills that within the game of basketball you recommend for players to continue to work on or coaches to work on with their players? Uh, I think definitely from an individual skill point perspective, when I'm just working uh, with a small group of athletes or individuals, I always try to make sure that they're, I know you do a ton of it, is, is having your handle tight. Uh, because when I warm up, like I want to get into a good sweat, good lather, um, and ball handling and dribbling the ball with force, dribbling the ball with my fingertips, moving my feet, uh, having my head up, seeing the floor, and challenging my mind too, right? Like you, your, your mind's stimulated when you're doing, you know, high challenging uh, ball handling drills. And I get a lot of kids that, um, you know, have never really, I want, I, want, I want them to be free and creative on the court too. So a lot of times I'll just incorporate different combinations, different spins and two balls to just kind of wake them up and see that the possibilities are endless um on the basketball court basketball is uh, the most free-flowing game you can think of and it's probably the hardest i feel like basketball is the hardest sport in the world because you know you have to move feet arms legs touch finesse strength power everything goes into the basketball game so i try to just expand kids minds when we're getting into warming up through ball handling and and getting their bodies moving better through space like the better you can move better you can handle I mean you see seven footers now in the NBA that they want them to run like deer and 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 be able to handle and, and do everything and that is I feel like I have a lot more confidence in my game when I, I have I have when I'm when I'm putting the reps in ball handling because I feel like nobody can take the ball from me I feel quicker I feel more confident and I feel like it even helps my shot too because if I'm losing the ball from my handle my shot's going to be off. So, but if I'm tight in my handle, that ball's going to be in my shooting pocket when I'm coming off of, of things off the dribble. My passing's going to get better, one or both hands passing. You got to be able to make reads, hit guys in corners with both hands. So I feel like ball handling definitely, um, and every team needs a, a five on five, three on three that can handle pressure, that can be confident and it can get the ball where it needs to go. So uh, ball handling is something that, I almost spend a lot of times, you know, if we have an hour workout, I'll look at the clock. And if I'm not, if I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like the athlete is, is if we're taking a long time, it may take 30, 45 minutes before I even move on to the next thing. If I, if I don't like how the ball handling is going or even just ball handling in general, I'll spend a lot of time on. Well, it's, there's so many things within ball handling that are, 
extremely effective in the game, especially with the style that is being played today. But also mm -hmm. ball handling is such a great way, as you mentioned, like you like to do it in the beginning to get warmed up, to get your body going. Ball handling can be used for many purposes as well as game application, right? You can work on your, your, your footwork. You can also work on basically isometric stance. Like, hey, we're working on a defensive stance. We're working on defensive slides. Actually, we're, we're dribbling the ball and moving at the same time. You talked about the visualization aspect. I mean, players that train with imagination are going to get better results than the ones that are simply doing the drill. And you can do that with ball handling. And, and you said you're incorporating, you know, two basketballs, different types of skills to stimulate the mind, to overload it, to make things more challenging. So then when they do get back into the game, the game becomes that much easier. That's all fantastic stuff. Um, is there is there anything that um, you talk about with your players when it comes to ball handling and then getting up into the shot? Because I, I think that there's so many players that I've seen that – this is the reason I ask. There's so many players I see that really work on their handle and then they'll really work on their shot, but rarely do I really see them incorporating the two. And as you mentioned, in a game, I mean, it's, it's that transition of, okay, I worked on my handle to create this space. Now it's time to get into my pickup and take this shot. But if they haven't worked on that aspect enough, we're still in trouble. So what do you work with your players on as far as that transition period and getting up in their shot? Yeah, so like I said from the beginning, in the, when, I'm, when I'm first warming up with shooting with athletes, it will be as simple as dribble with your left hand, put the ball in your shooting pocket, shoot it. Put the ball in your right hand, dribble at one time, pick it up in your shooting pocket, shoot it. Then we can incorporate, okay, cross over left to right, pick it up, shoot it from three feet away. And we're not going fast either. Because a lot of trainings you get, okay, cross, cross between the legs, cross, cross, shot. And that's all good and well. But if, if, if that's the first thing that you're doing or you're just trying to, you know, make it look good for parents or, or coaches or Instagram or social media, you're doing your athlete a disservice. So I want them to get rep after rep after rep of just pocket the, pound the ball with your left hand, pocket in your right pocket, shoot the ball. Pocket with your right hand. Okay, then we can add split, step, split stance between the legs. Okay, right to left, pick it up, shoot it. Just from really close. So the athlete is just getting muscle memory of good mechanics, good basics, and they're getting confidence because from, you know, four feet away, they're probably, they're probably going to be able to make, you know, a decent amount of shots. And then we can start adding speed to it and combinations to it. But I want to start with just the basics of athletes feeling comfortable, putting the ball on the ground, getting the ball in their shot, one motion up into it, and building confidence in the reps. And so, like I said, a lot of people, if they don't, they don't want to just stay from four feet away and, and, and have 100 makes because it's tedious, it's boring, and they want to step back and, and feel like they're, 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 they're expanding their game. But you're gonna, over time, you're going to be much more confident in your, and your mechanics are going to be much more tight if you put in the reps from close. And then after you can make 60, 70, 80% of your shots from a close area, then we can start getting somewhere and putting combinations together and adding speed and, and different footworks, different pivots, different plants off of these combination moves. As the, I think the Kobe Bryant quote goes, you can't get bored with the basics. And what you're teaching your players to do, even if they're close to the basket is has become one of the most important aspects of 
the game of basketball with, with where we're transitioning to and how the game is being played, more and more shots are now being taken off the dribble. And before, you know, a lot of deep shots were strictly catch and shoot. Well, now you look at all of the high-level players, they can catch and shoot it or they can create separation off the dribble and pull it. I mean, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard right now is a phenomenal example of what he's been doing in, in the bubble of being able to be effective shooting the basketball in all sorts of ways off the dribble and off the, off the catch. His, his teammate C.J. McCollum is, is another great example. So as we finish out the, the podcast, I want to talk to you about maybe one of the best players to, to do that, which is Chris Paul who if you, you've trained at his, his academy, you know him better than most people would. You've seen him play many times. What are one or some of the things about his game that make him so good? Man, where do you start with Chris Paul? Um, Chris Paul, honestly, is the best shooter that I have ever seen uh, in person in my life. And you don't really think of Chris Paul as a shooter. Like, the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Chris Paul isn't a shooter. And I've seen, obviously, a lot of basketball players in my life. But he uh, is so fundamentally sound. He has great footwork. He has great mechanics in a shot. He shoots the same shot every time. Um, he can go left. He can go right. I remember Donovan Mitchell saying Donovan Mitchell came and worked out at Chris Paul's basketball Academy with uh, maybe Grayson Allen. And I think, you know, Chris Paul, they played one-on-one with Chris Paul and, you know, Donovan Mitchell, you see, everybody sees what he's doing in the bubble right now. And uh, it was another dra draft prospect and Chris Paul just made five straight mid range shots against both players in the post. I mean, in the post, just catch, pivot pivot like size you up five 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 each player and he beat them both and that's donovan mitchell tells that story like it was a wake-up call to me It'd be like i want to go to the nba and i'm getting scored on in the post you know he's shooting jumpers but i'm getting scored on the post from a six-foot guy so like uh donovan mitchell said it was a big wake-up call but he chris paul has great touch he's smart he knows how to play the game as far as how to how to game the game, some people, you know, he takes a lot of a uh, uh, slack for maybe too much gamesmanship. But just from a basketball skill standpoint, um, he's he can go off either foot. He has every shot in his bag. He has the mid range. He has the three, and and he takes care of his body like like you know you hear a lot about LeBron taking his body. Chris Paul is you know thirty some years old now and has been doing it point guard six foot tall uh in the nba for a long time and he's every day working on his body he's got obviously it's a luxury to have massage guys stretch guys but you know a lot of nba guys who also could have those luxuries and they don't they don't take advantage of it and they don't have that same work ethic and everyday mindset to get better so he has it all man he has the work ethic he has the game and i feel like good players get better every year good players get better every day um, and he's, I feel like in order to get better every year, you have to get better or feel like you're getting better almost every day. So, um, it's been awesome to, to experience him and, and watch him play and to, you know, guy who has everything to keep getting better. And, and I really hope that, you know, if he can get a championship before he retires. That's pretty cool to, to hear you explain it that way. I don't think many people would have expected you to say 
shooting as the first thing that came to mind with with Chris Paul. So we definitely learned something from from that. And then obviously the point guard position, the hardest position to play for an extended period of time at at the NBA level. And he's a great you can't play great unless you're in great shape. And he's done an excellent job of taking care of his body, no doubt about it. And we'll see. Are they going to beat the uh, – do you think they'll beat the Rockets in round one? Oh, man. Uh, my heart my heart says yes. Um, they've gotten the last two. I think Houston's due to win a game. I think it goes seven games. And uh, we've, we, we see what, we've seen what can happen to James Harden in, in seven games. So, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Spencer, I want to thank you for, for joining the Coach's Edge podcast, dropping some knowledge with us. Um, coaches, if you found this beneficial, please uh, subscribe. I'll leave uh, Spencer's contact information in the show notes below so you can follow his journey, whether that's on Instagram or anywhere else. And uh, Spencer, I'll let, it, let you uh, take us out on the show. Go ahead. Any closing thoughts that you have? Hey, Steven, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of yours, everything that you do on social media. Uh, we'll continue to keep following you. And, uh, and yeah, just uh, thank you for having me on. Anybody wants to check out uh, cran3on3.com, um, learn more about our team, learn more about 3 on 3, and, or get some awesome uh, gear from Tokyo. We ship worldwide. So, um appreciate you having me on man i love talking hoops and and anytime you need me or want to drop me a line or come back on the pod more than happy to so thanks for having me brother thank you very much and and let me know when you're back in the states we'll continue to to follow and keep in touch and best wishes this this basketball season thanks again yes Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Special thank you to Spencer for taking the time to share his journey, his passion, living his dream as a professional basketball player, and some of his philosophies on player development. I think there's so many great takeaways that we can have from that because after you speak with Spencer, he's, he's so much into, you know, you're not a robot. What works for him may not work for someone else. That's okay. And it's important that we don't, put players in a box when we're coaching them. We need to try to see where they're at and how we can help them develop with some of the skills that they have, some of the foundation that they already have in place. And I think that's what makes Spencer such a great player and such a great trainer is that he's able to take that philosophy, that mindset and apply it to his own game and all the other players that he works with. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, if you benefited from it, please share it out with someone who also may find it beneficial. And obviously leaving a rating and a review would go a really long way as we continue to grow the coach's edge. Thanks again and get after it today.